Welcome to the Westside Personalized Podcast, where real educators share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and are able to find a few valuable takeaways from the podcast. And so without further ado, let's go to the pod! The Westside Personalized Podcast is at Westside High School today, and back in the science department, actually getting a chance to visit once again with Angie Bergman about some of the personalized learning practices that she's had a chance to incorporate uh, into her Earth and Space class. And so very, very excited to have the chance to uh, just kind of dive into what's been a, a pretty big project for you and your team with John Almain and a really interesting, awesome, personalized experience you provided for your students. And so, first of all, welcome to the podcast once again. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, for anyone that maybe didn't catch the first podcast that you were on, can you kind of give a little background, kind of your experience in education, and, and maybe a little bit about the Earth and Space course? Okay. I'm Angie Bergman. I've been a teacher here at Westside, I believe, for 16 years I teach, I'm the team leader for Earth Space, which fulfills a specific set of state science standards. Mm-hmm. Which last time we learned is kind of significant to Westside too, right? Or specific yeah. to Westside is what I mean to say. Yeah, we're, I guess, like the redheaded stepchild of the state in that we have <laughs> decided to devote this particular set of resources. Other schools force these standards into other courses, so like maybe their biology picks up all the climate change, maybe chemistry picks up some of the like radiometric dating or radioactive decay and physics would pick up the rest in terms of stars and astronomy. And we've decided, no, we're going to keep and maintain the integrity of those courses and we're just going to devote a course to this. And so we have the two options. We have natural science for some students and we have earth space for others, depending on which route they want to take and how accelerated their programming is. So yeah, so that's kind of our course. It mm-hmm. fits those state standards. And you mentioned last time that uh, it's a course that's a semester-long course, mm-hmm. uh, and so you've had an opportunity to sort of implement quickly and move quickly yeah. and, and develop iterations of things, and that evolution can kind of happen faster than it would in a traditional class period where... Semester-long or year-long. Semester long yeah, course, year-long yeah. courses. Uh, you know. Because of that, that, that quick turnaround time. Yeah, right? yeah, which is exciting and terrifying all at the same time. But, like, as we implemented this lesson, we were, like, already making changes. Like, literally, it was on the fly. One day, I think we had five different versions loading onto our Google Drive at one point. Because we're like, well, that sucked. Why didn't we say it like this? And, well, you know, because it's, like, the first time (laughs) through any lesson, you find all the errors. And so we were like, well, that's an error. So we fix it. And then I think we were on, like, version five by the end of the day. It was like, (laughs) oh, kids would under, like, because we asked, we told the kids going into this, like, this is new. Can you help us out? And so they would be like, this doesn't make sense. You know, they were a great group of kids that were able to like just speak up and say, huh? <laughs> you yeah, know? kind of use that voice, give you some feedback. To yeah, kind of refine the process and so we got feedback from them and we were able to just really make changes on the fly. So like next semester, it's going to go a lot better. You <laughs> yeah, know? So, yeah. Well, and yeah. that's what I'm going to say, I guess, uh, our ask to begin with is why this particular part of your course? Because it was a big commitment uh, to be able to develop this out. There were summer hours allocated to this uh-huh. and, and uh, a half a day to kind of plan even during the, the school year. Yep. Uh, and so why did you select this particular content uh, to think about personalizing and kind of give us just the backstory on its evolution from the our early conversations, which was really actually like six months ago, maybe. Wow. We spoke in like May, if, uh, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. About... That's crazy. Um, so we knew last year that the standards were changing. And so when I, and I was lucky enough to work with Nebraska Department of Education on the standards writing team. So I kind of had even a preview of what they were going to be. 
I knew that. You're like, oh, I see this coming. We're uh-huh. going to have to do something. to. And yeah. this is my class. Like, I could, I could totally see it coming. And so I was like, well, I've got to be ready that we're going to lose this particular six-week chunk of curriculum because it moved down to eighth grade levels. And then I knew that we were going to gain this whole other huge chunk of content. And knowing that, like, our biology team, while they touch on this stuff, they don't have the time because their content standards are so much broader I knew they weren't going to be able to pick it up. So it was natural. It was a natural fit for us. So I could see this new stuff coming. And I knew, well, if I ditch this other six weeks, I've gained six weeks to teach this other stuff. Yeah. And this other stuff, this new stuff was focused in on... Climate. Okay. Yeah. So, so climate, kind of climate change. Explain through that a little bit. Yeah. So the new standards are about climate um, and climate change, but also about how students learn science. So really the state of Nebraska is where before it was like students will understand, students will know, students will understand, students will know. Now it's about students can gather information, students can analyze evidence, students Mm -hmm. can communicate that evidence. And so the focus really shifted from them learning about to figuring out. And so I knew that not only did our content focus have to change, but how we had students learn it had to change. So then add that all the district and school initiatives that go with, you know, a normal Mm -hmm. school Mm -hmm. year. And so probably about that same time that I could see this coming down the road was when we started the personalized learning. And I, so I had it kind of in my head, like I can kill two birds with one stone. Sure. I can do this new curriculum and I can implement personalized learning because I have to rewrite it anyway. I have Mm -hmm. to find new labs. I have to do all this stuff. So why not? do both at the same time so yeah. that's and why that's, and it's definitely something that i as we started to work more and more you know for over the last year and a half almost now with teachers is that there's typically about three starting points it's either with something that's kind of stale or flat that you just want to kind of revisit in a way that it revamps something mm-hmm. that, that just has not necessarily been successful before or uh, where there's already great differentiation it's just an opportunity to extend more choices and to sort of blow that up a little bit in a personalized way or what you're talking about, which is, well, if we're going to start something new and start from scratch, why not, you know, kind of weave this component into it at the same time? So that's something, yeah, we definitely have heard. And I think I also I was able to do it. I mean, it was still terrifying, but I think I was also able to do it because I had already started with a small chunk. I started with one of those stale lessons and was like, mm-hmm. this one sucks. Let's do something different. And we had such good success with it. Students liked it. We had better test scores. All of that happened. And that's the one I talked about on that last podcast. But Which is a great podcast, by the way. You should definitely go listen to it if you haven't. <laughs> Check that out. But that, because we had success there, I felt like we could manage this. Um, the other terrifying part as the team leader was I knew I had to bring my team with me. And when you're like, I can do this, you know, that's mm-hmm. one thing saying, I'm committed to this. But when I'm like, uh, guess what? You're committed because I'm telling you to be. <laughs> Right. That's a whole nother piece of it. So I was really grateful that we had the chance to work together as a team. Like those summer hours when we were able to both come in and and have input and what's going to work for you, what's going to work for us. That part was really beneficial because then we were able to both have input of like, no, this does not work. Or Mm -hmm. yes, this, this is what this looks like. And I think that was also partly helpful in how our unit ended up rolling out because at one point on one of our work days when we were like, okay, we need some sort of formative assessment here. Like we need to, if our end goal is still this this writing prompt, then we need to be able to formatively assess, give students a chance to practice on mm-hmm. this. So I was like, okay, well you do this one and I'm going to do this one. And it turned out that how we wrote them, we actually wrote the same thing, but because we were two different people in two different ways, 
it ended up being another choice portion of the oh, lesson. That's awesome. So when we handed out these formative practice, I was like, well, look, okay, well, if I just do what you did, but over here and you do what I did. So like we were able to then like swap what we were doing and I would make like a graphic organizer version. He would make like a more traditional version. And we even experimented when we made copies. Like, what if we put this one on top? Will students choose this one over that one? And then we flipped them to see if students would choose that one over this one. Like, we, yeah. we kind of messed around with that just to see, kind of get inside a student's head to see which one are they using? Why are they picking that one? Mm -hmm. And it was pretty much a 50-50 split. Like, students would be like, uh-uh, that one's crazy. I'm not going to do it. And they'd go to the one that they liked. And... They like were like, nope, this is what I need, and they picked the one they did. And that part was really encouraging to see, like, okay, we did not waste a half day in a sub and writing yeah. sub plans. Uh, this was really helpful to kids. So that part was cool. So. That's interesting to hear. And I, I don't know, we actually, in the past two days, I was just talking to you informally about this. We had a school in from Chicago that was visiting, and we kind of went through that same PD day experience with them and then got to go observe in classrooms and just hear kind of their feedback. Uh, and we spoke a lot about just the personalized learning, like your journey with the work and that, you know, in your comments there that you had an opportunity to do this on a smaller scale for like a week long kind of lesson that you put together on the previous podcast that we talked about, which can give you confidence to try to implement those practices on a larger scale mm -hmm. with something like this natural phenomena unit that you guys established. And one of the questions that came up and the reason I referenced the conversation the last couple of days has been, well, what do you do like as a team? Because everyone yeah. is their own individual as a teacher and they have certain things that they're comfortable with yeah. um, that the other person might not be and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, and if, especially if those journeys are kind of in different places, yeah. how do you start to reconcile some of those? And, and I think that's really the case when it comes to team teaching anything, right? I mean, it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily have to be personalized learning right. um, that those same kind of push-pull opportunities or conversations are going to be there. Uh, and it's really interesting, you know, to hear that instead of saying, well, mine or yours, recognizing that maybe, maybe it's both. They maybe both actually had you, got, you were creating yeah. these choices because you as educators are different people and see things in a different way. And then the students then, you know, can kind of find themselves across those two options. Yeah. And it was neat to watch kids because you, you could even, as we were teaching how to, like, they were like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, aren't this the same thing? And I'm like, yeah, it pretty much is. So if this makes more sense to you, use this. If this makes more sense to you, use that. And then I could, was able to say, this one makes more sense to me. Here's how I would use this. And I would explain how my brain worked, then watch them go, oh, and they could still use the tool that they wanted, even if it was different. But then they were able to to still get practice in mm -hmm. um, because, like, I was able to say this is how I would approach this or this is how I would approach that or this is how you might compare the two tools and use them both. And so we had kids that, you know, they might do one, they might do the other, they might have done both. Uh, they might have switched back and forth between the two at different times. And I don't know, that was one of the things that came out of it that was simple, but it was mm -hmm. like, I was like, I'm really proud of that piece, you know, like yeah, I was really yeah. proud of our team for coming up with it. I was really proud of how the kids utilized it. So, And I think neat. that's, we talk about choice all the time with personalized learning and it, it basically can span a variety of contexts, right? Usually you find yourself naturally inclined to think about it in one or two of these ways where you say, well, choices, maybe in content. And so it's like, different novels in English or, you know, getting to choose what supplemental resources you utilize for a history unit, for example, versus, well, choice in instruction, or maybe I want to learn through video or direct instruction, those kind of things. Or most of us go choice in product, like we're going to do a project and you can create whatever you want. And that's yeah. kind of a personalized thing. I love where you're at with that assignment and that, that choice in process 
leads to conversations typically about learning strategies yeah. that makes the learner aware to the fact that there is multiple ways to accomplish something and that one of those is probably most ideal for you being effective as a learner. And I'm not sure that it's common practice in education, myself and implementing things in my own classroom included, to just say, well, here's the one form, the one handout, the one way in which we're all going to do this. Uh, and it's awesome whenever students have the chance to at least be reflective about that and find their own find their own way. And what I found that they did was they really were like, oh, like they might not understand anything looking at one of those pieces, but as soon as you approached it in a different direction, you know, I think a lot of times when a kid hits that point, you know, we talk about teaching resilience and we talk about teaching, you know, some of those life skills mm -hmm. and they have a ten they do, they have a tendency to shut down because they think I'm stupid. Well, when you show them this is the same thing, but in a different way, and all of a sudden they can get it using that other tool, like I saw a lot more resilience in my students and they realized, oh, it's not about me not understanding or me being stupid. It's about how I can function in this environment. And I think it empowered some of my kids a mm -hmm. lot because they were like, oh, I'm not dumb. I didn't understand how this, what I was supposed to do here, but I get this. I can do that. Yeah. And I saw a lot more of that, and that was super encouraging, too. So Yeah, that it's less about yeah how intelligent you are, more about just finding the right strategy yeah. to allow you to be able to grasp it. Yeah. And that's that's fantastic. And we kind of got in the weeds here a little bit. I'm okay. going to zoom back in, in a great way. Okay. I've been like <laughs> driving into that conversation because it's been so good. So if we zoom back out, so natural phenomena, uh -huh. and the way that this played out was you wanted to start to provide some choices with regards to what they went through. And so you yep. talk a little bit about... Um, you held to one natural phenomena to sort of model, yep. talk about in, in whole groups and things like that, and then the choice that they then had in the way in which they, they got into their own from Application options. Part. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we had coral bleaching was kind of our modeled phenomena. So we were talking about how climate change impacted corals, what that meant for coral recovery, uh, why it happened, how, you know, and then we were able to like, Okay, so what happened there? Well, it was something about temperature. So we were able to get into like global temperature and something about carbon dioxide. And, and so then after, at the end of each lab, at the beginning before, or a couple of labs, so we would do a common lab together where they had to work through, collect data, um, analyze the data, whatnot. What then they had to do was then go back and apply it on that formative assessment to what it meant for their phenomena. Okay, so this is how it applies to corals, and this is why we're digging into this concept or this lab. Now, how does it apply to yours? And then they'd get back into their question group, and they would talk it out. Well, this is, I think, why. And, you know, scaffolding-wise, we did have to, I mean, you still put those same learning scaffolds in place. You followed this storyline of why is it that this particular thing could happen. And we had to be pretty deliberate about the phenomena we chose so mm -hmm. that it would scaffold the same for all kids. Sure. So there's not 10 steps to one process and five to a different one? Is that or, kind of what you Yeah. Mean? Or, like, even, like, how you would approach answering that phenomena or figuring out that phenomena. Okay. So, like... So in corals, if it's about temperature and carbon dioxide, and then it's about thermal inertia, you don't want the other one to be more about albedo and thermal inertia before they got to carbon dioxide, because then okay. it's not gonna it's gonna flow nicely and, and the learning's gonna progress logically for one set of students but not the other. Mm -hmm. And in science speak, we call that the storyline. We build those scaffolds in a storyline so that kids it makes sense to teachers and to students. Yeah. And so we had to make sure that the phenomena we chose or the choices we gave them 
fit that same storyline throughout. So what what other two storylines then did you select? Because there were two options the students could pick mm-hmm. from. They ha- goal they, of four at some point. Yeah, goal of four is probably the ultimate because reading only two kinds of essays when you have a hundred of them to read <laughs> is really boring, especially uh, when one choice. As a former choice, English teacher, I'm with you. And, and, and the that. thing yep. and the thing was was. One, students tended to, we didn't anticipate this, but students were drawn more to one choice than the other. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was we had like, I'd call it an 80-20 split instead okay. of the 50-50 split we were anticipating. And so we would like to have four choices eventually, but I don't know if that'll, like, it's kind of time intensive in terms of like figuring it out, but it's kind of, then once you get it figured out, it's like, Boom, you're done. Sure. And they get super quick once you're like, oh, yeah, this one will work. So what, what were the two that they had to pick from? Um, we chose, for them we chose, they could choose global ice loss. So they were okay. thinking about polar ice caps, how they're shrinking. Or they could choose global water crisis. One of the reasons why we chose uh, global ice loss was because that starving polar bear picture was kind of in the social right. media mm-hmm. within the last few years. And so we figured that one would be like a real good hook for kids. It's something they'd seen and something like, why is this? And then we found an, another interesting but semi-related article about these things called growler bears. It's a grizzly polar bear cross. Um, that A be- growler? I've never heard of a growler bear. So they kind of have the head shape of a polar bear, but more brown coloring, but still kind of that silvery white of a polar bear. Yeah. And so... They're, they they look like what you would imagine if you think grizzly bear plus polar bear. That's exactly what they look like. Like, um, and so we had found this article, and we're like, that well, that fits. Like, what's going to happen to habitats? And then we chose global water crisis because um, that one will relate directly to like United States and how climate change plays out for us here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So right now it's a big issue in South Africa. It's becoming more of an issue in Four Corners America. But it's also a big issue in Four Corners, Australia. Did not realize that there's a Four Corners, Australia, huh. as well as America, till we were doing the background research on this project. Um, <laughs> learn something new every some, day. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, but the neat thing is, is for a lot of the global water crisis areas, it comes from ice. So we are able to then pull them back together a little bit before they branch back out again. Mm-hmm. And so students didn't realize that they, their paths would cross like that. So it was kind of neat when they were like, wait, what? And we were like, yeah, isn't that, oh, you know, there, we didn't realize that there were I, there was ice on top of mountains, you know, near the equator, <laughs> you know, or whatever. And so they were, so that was kind of a revelation to get some of those those other bits of learning that are in there, that was pretty That was pretty neat. So. And so you mentioned earlier, too, that they would return to their question group. So that question mm-hmm. group would be a collection of students that are all have all chosen the same phenomena? Yep. Okay. So at the beginning, kind of how our storyline progressed was we used question formulation technique. I don't know if you're familiar with that. There's a beautiful mm. website out there. I can, give me, can you give me like a synopsis? Um, in essence, it's trying to get kids to be curious again. Okay. So you give them something like a phenomena, mm-hmm. and you're like, you, you give them rules. You have to ask as many questions as you can. You can't stop to judge or answer your questions. Okay. You have to write everything down exactly as it pops into your head. The only rule is you, you can change a, a statement to a question. And then you can't cross off or like reword or, or judge a question. And so we started off with a non-related a video. It was just a silly video that I found online. So we practiced with a real low risk, low, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. This is the process. So then when they came to small group, we're like, okay, 
here are your phenomena. Um, and we went through the PowerPoint with them and it was just pretty much headlines like that we pulled out about each of these two topics. Well, and when we were in large group, we also did the same question. They had practice on corals. So okay. we did the, so in large group, we did the low risk one, we did the modeled one. And then when we got to small group, we had them look through a PowerPoint on their two choices. And then we said, okay, based on what you know, divide yourselves in the room. And so we kind of put one group at the front, one group at the back of the room, just because of how our rooms are arranged. And then we were like, okay, ask questions. And they went through 2,000 posty notes that day. Wow. That's how many questions kids asked. And so... And I will say, what a genuine place to start from, too. And, you know, I, my role in the podcast here is to throw that personalized lens on, across the stuff, right? And so to even... Stage three for us is when the students are really driving the questioning and mm-hmm. the, the conceptualizing of what's going on. And they're, they're the ones that are very, very active. And you as an educator are really just coming alongside that yeah. uh, in ways to support those and, and to give them suggestions on how to arrive at answers for the questions that they've created. Yeah. Uh, and so to hear 2,000? 2,000 posting notes. Posting so notes. I went into Sam's Club and bought like the great big container of posting notes. We went through the whole thing. That's crazy. That's crazy. It was I love, 2,000 posting And I love that idea, too, of sort of, how do you, what's this called again? Question, Question formulation, formulation technique. technique. I see this kind of across like other disciplines, though, and whether that, yeah. well, let's stay in science first. I feel like in a lot of ways, this is sort of how physics has trended in our personalized format here with, you know, Ben Powers being able to ask them, like, hey, go out and actually, like, construct these labs on your own and tinker yeah. with things, right, where you're sort of just fumbling through Oh, yeah. Um, we did a lot of that, too. Being immersed too. in it, yeah. which is great. Or take, like, a foreign language. Instead of maybe learning a lot of vocab and conjugations on the front end and then trying to speak those out afterwards, there, there are, like, comprehensible input is sort of a movement in that discipline where they say, we're just going to talk in, you know, this particular world language, and you'll be immersed in it, and hopefully you just start to pick that up. Right. Know, and, the then, and then it's like, well, how do I ask this question? And then what's happening, like, thinking in that foreign language lens is, like, if a kid goes, well, I don't know how to do this, what, well, then you can step in as the facilitator and go, well, what information do you need? Here's the information you need. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of that going on. So, like, students, I was like, well, where does your water come from? And they were like, well, we don't know. I'm like, well, so you might need to do a little more research. Then they'd go look up, well, that comes from like this mountain. You know? Yeah, right? And that's what Wait, so, oh, oh, you mean, like, where does it literally come, come from? Come from. And then they're like, oh, it comes from it comes from a reservoir or it's that reservoir or it comes from this river that comes from this glacier, you know, and like all of a sudden they were like, what? And so there was a lot of real time that kind of, it creates those moments that you always hope for as a teacher, Mm -hmm. but they are starting to show up naturally because a kid is driving those questions. And so we had to get creative because it's not like you're sitting in an elementary classroom where you have one set of kids and you can kind of devote like one set of wall space to these questions. So we had to use, we got a Padlet subscription that we could use so that each section had a Padlet board. And then we had, after we, so when we started the questioning technique, we had kids, you know, form subgroups within there and start to group their questions together. And so once they had a question group, we're like, okay, put those in the Padlet. 
And so then they had lists of questions and then we were able to like get rid of questions that didn't matter and we prioritize them according to what do we think is most important. And of course that's where you step in as a facilitator, like our first lab is going to be on thermal expansion that needs to come this way. You know, like yeah. you need to understand this before you can understand those other things. So you would help them prioritize mm -hmm. and you could tell them like, hey, I'm going to have you guys prioritize this question because really that'll help us answer these others. And that's where like that relationship that you've built with those kids, they kind of go, okay, well, I'm going to try her on that so that part we did have a hand in a little bit more that was one of my only regrets though like I feel like those questions have a lot of power and I don't think we leveraged that tool enough mm -hmm. but we are also under the constraint of time like we knew we had six weeks to get all this done yeah. and the labs took longer than we thought there was just some timing issues of course with brand new curriculum I'd but... say yeah first time trying to do something you're always gonna yeah. have to tinker I think with some of that pacing a little bit yeah and so I think that's a piece we can leverage a little bit more like mm -hmm. next time so it does sound though to me at least like for the indicators that you have instead of just knowing and understanding which would have been very easy to go well, here's our choral example everyone jot down information about this that we would just sort of deliver to you and then you yeah. leave with an understanding of how, how a phenomenon works that the the indicators that you mentioned had a much more active action verbs oh uh, yeah and this we talk in our training a lot that like agency is really at the heart of why we want personal learning we want students to develop that sense of that confidence that they can take on anything and then arrive at a, at a solution. Figure it out. Yeah, the resilience piece that you mentioned yeah. a little bit earlier. And one of the components of agency for us is really to take ownership of learning. And that oftentimes without, there's kind of two things you almost have to have that are, that are pretty essential to taking ownership. One uh, is choice. It's hard to like take ownership of anything. We don't really have a, a choice. Right. <laughs> and two is the ability to ask like, genuine questions that come from you about it. Well, and I would add a third. I would add the climate of your classroom. The climate of your classroom has to be such that a kid is allowed to take risks. Sure. Because if they I can't like that. take like that. that risk, if they don't feel safe enough, they're more worried about whether they get the right answer for you than whether or not you're concerned about their process. Mm -hmm. Then it's scary for a kid. They want a good grade. It's not like kids want to come into your classroom and fail. They actually want to do well. Mm -hmm. I believe that every kid, whether they're the belligerent, jerk or whether they are the kid who's straight A and will sit quietly, sure. they want to do well. And when you look at that kid and you're like, how do you want to figure it out? And they're like, all of a sudden you just see their, their whole demeanor changes because they're like, wait, I get to pick? And yeah. you're like, yeah, how do you want to figure it out? Is that going to yeah. help you figure it out? And then they'll be like, yeah, because, and all of a sudden it's like dealing with a whole different kid in your classroom. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. I'd say your climate, you have to be willing to create that climate where a kid is allowed to fail and they know that that's just part of the process. Yeah. And we talk about scaling up voice and choice too in that similar way. You have to have a positive classroom climate to where when you extend choice to students or at least like, okay, but they're usually choices that you provide. Yeah. And then through feedback and collaboration with students and pushback or whatever you want to call it, that which is what we call voice, eventually it's a place where it does cycle back through and you have a better classroom climate because they feel heard and understood and that their you know strategy preferences what are going to call are like catered to and and yeah that that definitely becomes a really big big piece in it i'm going to ask this and you, you sort of touched upon it there some students are phenomenal at the game of school mm -hmm. Which is very much, I know, I understand, I regurgitate, I win. I move on, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. I get A and A+. Plus. Yeah. And when these types of learning experiences start for a student like that, 
if they meet some adversity, mm -hmm. uh, they can really push back on, oh, on the yeah. thought of, wait, no, 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 tell me what to do, yes. put it on an organizer, and I can fill in blanks till, yes. till you tell me that I'm done, and oh. I want that instead. Yeah. There was a lot that, of that. That happened a little bit. There's a there's a pocket of people, I feel like, in every class as they were first getting exposed to this type of learning. Yeah. yeah. That, and so some of our labs were like that. Like, okay, you have to figure out carbon dioxide and you've got to figure out albedo. And here's some two-liter bottles. Here's a heat lamp. Go. And they're like, well, what? And what do we do? Well, do what do you want to test first? Well, what should I test first? Well, I don't know. What do you want? What are you curious about? And they're like, but there's no procedure. I'm like, right, because you're figuring it out. Yeah. You can however you want. You just got to be consistent. And they're like, but, 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 but I'm like, and then they're like, is this right? You know, at the end, they, they get some data. They decide to take a chance. They decide to do an experiment. They're like, is this right? And you're like, I don't know. Did you talk to anybody else? There, yeah, <laughs> then, there you go. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Well, I'm like, well, go see if somebody else is doing something similar and go see if they got a sim. Does their graph look kind of the same? And so then we were able to have great uh, conversations about the data, like reliability and validity. And those are conversations I never would have had before. I would have been like, here's how you read this graph. Mm -hmm. And they would have been like, okay, I have to look for how much the line goes up. Yeah. And now we're having conversations that I never would have had before about reliability and validity because we're like, well, your line crisscrosses and my line doesn't. Your line goes up and mine looks like it's going flat. And then we're having, well, how long did you run data for? Well, wait, does that, which one increased more? wait, which was more important, how much, mm -hmm. like where it started and where it ended, or is it more important that which one's on top? And then they start to figure out, well, it's more important about how much it changed over time. Oh, well, wait, even my graph looks different. It's got, you got the same thing I did. And so within that, when we were able to give them that level of, of choice in, within that particular lab, we saw a lot of that. And so their lab skills, I feel like, are better. Like, they understand how to read data. They understand the difference between direct and indirect relationships in science and how, like, you can look for correlation in data. And we looked at so many graphs that I never would have tackled before this that I think we were able to because kids were able to take risks. And mm -hmm. they were we were able to have conversations about data that we never would have had if I would have just said, put this in this bottle and let it sit for five minutes. And then they would have gone, well, great, I got my graph, I'm done. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it means, but I don't care, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm done, you know. So, and now they were like, well, is it right? And I'm like, I don't know, did you, let's go find out, you know. Right. And so we were able to do that self-evaluation and it was, it was good. We learned a lot about like how much data we have to keep as scientists. And if we don't mm -hmm. have the data, if we didn't keep details, we're going to throw it out. And they're like, but, but, but. I'm like, well, you didn't write it down, yeah. you know. And then I was like, but then what do I do for my lab? I'm like, well, do you see any spot in there where it talks about you have to, you have to have this many? Well, no. Okay. That's the way science works. Sometimes it gets messy, you know. Yeah. And they were, they were, once they realized, again, but I think that's, again, a climate piece more than anything else because, then they realize, oh, if I make a mistake, that's how science works. And I'm mm -hmm. experiencing this full scientific process. And, oh, okay, I'm okay. You yeah. know, so the pushback was there. We just had to be more persistent than they were. It's like parenting, you know, you get that extinction behavior where there's like that temper <laughs> tantrum before it gets better. And yeah. there was a lot of temper tantrums. But now what I'm seeing in this next lab that we're doing, because we've kind of moved on, there's not that pushback. And they're like, oh, yeah, I have to write stuff down. And, oh, yeah, I have to keep track of everything. And there, you can see that that engagement is up. Where before they would have been, like, on 
their third test and they'd been like, oh, I forgot to take a picture. I didn't write down any of my data. Well, go back and redo it. I can't. I cut my thing apart, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but now they're like, oh, I have to make sure. And did you write that? And where did you put that? Like, I'm hearing those <laughs> conversations and we're only on day two. And I'm like, and when? That's like, great. And so, that's, oh, I'm, we shared this, we share this all the time as we like talk with educators that the goal is not to make your class 100% personalized, 100% of the time, each and every day in all facets. Right. But it's about, as a student works K to 12, that by the time they get out of the system, they've had enough opportunities to experience those type of learning environments, call it culture, call it the choice, like well, yeah. across all those things that we're promoting here, uh, that they have the skill set necessary to tackle whatever, agency, really to get yeah. back to that, that buzzword, if you want to call it that. And it's cool to hear, in what you're saying at least, that because they had that experience previously, it has now shaped the way in which they're going about the next thing. Yeah. And that ultimately is, I'm not sure if everyone in my English class was going to go on to be an author or yours to be a scientist, but those skills are transferable. Those soft skills, are, I think they were a lot more important than soft skills would right. imply. But uh, I, I love hearing that, because that that's, that's really the big take. I think that's what you like want to be about. Well, and then um, I would, the other thing I would say is go slow to go fast. Like you mentioned, like not every day, every time, but start small. Because then when we started small, we were able to upscale a little bit and then upscale a little bit. And then as we were upscaling, we were like, oh, here's another opportunity and add that mm -hmm. other piece in. And by doing that, our students got used to it too. And then it's get the hard, I think the hard part for me is going to be, well, now I'm used to this group of students who are used to it. And I got to remember my next crop of kids that comes yes. in. I have to reverse and go slow to go fast and build that and build that back in. Um, I, I remember my own experiences too, because I was part of the cohort one just five years ago. And there, I was like, personalized learning is, and we had to kind of explain it to them. Yeah. And they did really, really well. Uh, but then when I got the next group, I wasn't as patient on the front end with the explanation and they struggled a little bit. And so now uh, it uh, has been just awesome to have students come in and say, oh, you know, I had this experience in middle school and they kind of can pick up and run with that stuff a little bit more. So, I guess we're done. <laughs> yep. Unless we uh, want to move. I think it's good. We'll okay. just kind of wrap things up and say it's been a good conversation. Thanks for being on the podcast once again. All right. Thank you. And that'll be it because it's time for class. <laughs> cool. Well, that's a wrap on another great episode. For more information or to contact us directly, you can email our team at personalized.learning at westside66.net. As always, thanks for tuning in and learning from the Westside Personalized Podcast.